Stephen Jill here. Hi. Welcome to the Land Academy Show, entertaining real estate investment talk. I'm Stephen Jack Butella. And I'm Jill DeWitt, broadcasting from sunny Southern California. Today, Jill and I talk about why most house rentals fail. <laughs> and like everything on this show, we're going to talk about why they fail, and we're going to talk about some very uh, real-world working examples about why they work. I was going to say, and like everything on this show, <laughs> we are going to be brutally honest. Yeah. Because we don't yeah. know how not to. The, the cards are stacked against you as a, land, a new landlord, oh. beginning landlord. I thought but, you meant as a new listener. <laughs> well, that's for sure. <laughs> that goes without saying. We will be honest. We do not have filter buttons, and there's many times that we need them. That's how we should open this whole show, like... You chose this. Yeah. You chose to turn this on. That's right. We didn't. You know what? And this is going to be 20 minutes you'll never get back. <laughs> well, you know what? If it makes you feel any better, we won't get it back either. That's true. 20 minutes I'll never get back. <laughs> Before we get into it, let's take a question posted by one of our members on the houseacademy.com online community. It's free. But unlike me, you can turn it off right now. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Jefferson asks... What do you do when the property inspection report comes back and it's a mess? That's a good question. That is a good question, because that happens. Okay, so bear in mind, you sent an offer to an owner that called back, heck yes, I'm gonna sell you this property for that. You order an inspection report, sign some stuff, the inspection report comes back and it's a mess. Foundation, in California's case, foundation's cracked, uh, probably beyond prepare. Termites. Termites. Uh, there's stuff, something in the attic that was so disgusting that the inspector couldn't go up there and get it. Um, what else happens? Um, no, the, oh, the electricity wasn't turned on, so leaks. we really couldn't test that. Maybe some plumbing There's leaks. water damage. Yeah. Hole in the roof. In a perfect world, if these things come happen like this, you have a phone in one hand, and you're getting this bad news. You look down on your desk, and there's a stack of purchase agreements that you have that are signed because you sent out that many offers. Mm -hmm. For every 1,800 offers that we send out, we buy a house. You should you should budget for every 3,000 if you're brand new. But eventually, you will, you will get it to 18 or even lower. I wanna add, when we say buy a house, that means we had more that we did our due diligence and reviewed to get down to that one. So it's not like I have 18, you know, only I have to sell out that many to just get one to review. No, that means we get all the way through that process. Yeah, you might review. Uh, act on it. You might review ten. five, five to eight, maybe, okay. maybe 10 in some cases. Exactly. So this is one of those houses uh, where you might just take the purchase agreement and throw it away and go to the next one. Exactly. In a perfect world, you have so many deals, that's what you do. But more often than not, I think you're probably going to work through this situation. Maybe go back to the seller and say, hey, that's, that price didn't work, doesn't work as well. Yeah. But what you're doing is passing along a problem to your customer. So more often than not, if you have an established, hopefully you have an established buyer group or maybe one or two buyers, you're gonna ask that person, hey, does this stuff work for you? Exactly. So Is this a deal killer? Yeah. And if it is, tell you. then you move on. And if it's not a deal killer, now you go back and get the, at the price that works, taking all that into account, and that's it. That's, no one, no one, usually there's no surprises. Everybody yeah. gets it too, by the way. If I'm selling something and I didn't know that the, you know, I'm selling a car and I didn't know that, because I never used my air conditioning um, because of where I live, and now I found out the air conditioning doesn't even work, I am gonna adjust the price. Yeah. I know that, that's not a surprise. I'm not gonna say, you know, it's. When the house is vacant, 
you're going to see these problems that like we just described. But if the house is, uh, you're buying it from somebody who's just going to, who's moving, you won't see this kind of stuff. You'll see horrific decoration and all way too much stuff in the garage or the basement and uh, a couple carpet. rotten cars in the backyard and stuff like that. So yeah. all those things are very easily fixable. So every deal is different. Mm-hmm. You just have to take a look at it. Today's topic, why most rentals fail. This is why you're listening. Here's how people become landlords and then file bankruptcy. You're sitting around one day because you hate your job and you decide that you want to become a landlord because you spent a week on bigger pockets and it looks pretty easy. So you call your sister-in-law who's a real estate agent and she's only ever done two, two or three deals in her whole life. Uh, and those were for relatives. And you say, I want to be, I want to get a buy a rental house. And she says, oh my gosh, that's perfect because I have 16 of them right here. And what she means is I have access to the MLS, but so do you, you just don't know it. Because you only spent a week in bigger pockets instead of a month. This is so good. Your sister-in-law. I love this. This, is, this is a story. I'm just sitting back <laughs> enjoying this, how it unfolds. <laughs> Your sister-in-law finds the cheapest price house she can find in the market that you've chosen, or maybe she talks you into a market that you haven't even researched and you buy it. You go to the bank, you get a mortgage just like you're going to live there. The mortgage company requires an inspection uh, and an appraisal and all kinds of stuff, and you collect your 20% or, if you're lucky, 10% down payment to drain your savings or probably your actual checking account, not even your savings and everybody's getting paid except you. The real estate agent got paid, the inspector got paid, the lender got paid, the escrow agent got paid, the appraiser got paid, and the mortgage broker themselves got paid. So now you have a mortgage with the Bank of America that's a thousand bucks a month, and you turn your utilities on, and you got insurance, you had to call an insurance agent to get renter's insurance, uh, and you put a for sale sign in the window. And there you sit. Or for rent. Ready to, yeah, sorry. Uh, you put your rents, thank you. Rent sale and or whatever, however you market it. And a person piles up, uh, drives up with more garbage in their car than you've ever seen anyone have in their car. And they I love how you rent this house. Story. Your stories are so vivid. <laughs> it's really good. She drives up with a big gulp in one yes, hand. Yes, a big gulp. And, and, and orange cheesy fingers in the other hand. And she and, lights a cigarette. And lights <laughs> <laughs> What is she driving? She's driving a uh, 1989. Um, Ford Taurus. No, no I don't oh, think Ford no. Taurus. I think like a 1989 uh, Cadillac DeVille. Oh, okay. And then the, the ashtray is packed full of cigarettes with lipstick on it. How many kids are in the back? <laughs> no kids. Oh. But there's a St. Bernard back there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is good. Keep going. Who's, who's meeting her at the rental house here? Oh, you are. Oh, great. You are. Okay. You quit your job for this. By the way, because your sister-in-law's long gone. She's yeah. out, man. You quit your totally... She got totally, her commission and she's gone. You quit your totally lucrative job because oh, you're going to be a landlord. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> you had a thousand... Now you're in for like with the utilities and stuff. Great. Um, and, and insurance and everything. You're yeah. you're in for 1100 bucks a month and you're going to rent the house for 1600 
and you, for whatever reason, decide to rent it to the St. Bernard lady, who, by the way, doesn't look that different than her dog. But she's the first one that came along that's willing to pay. Right. That's really how it goes. You're excited. You You're making all the wrong you decisions. Don't need, you don't need to check her credit. Oh, no. And you don't need to. She told you it's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She told you this. She told you she was looking at the big one around the corner, but she liked this better. It just fit her needs. And she really needs to run a place because she's... Uh, at the end of her relationship with, uh, you know, her abusive, doctor. abusive boyfriend. <laughs> so you rent it, and you get you get your first and last month's rent, and you're high. You just got whatever, almost four thousand dollars cash, and she makes her first month's rent payment, and then she never stops, pays again. But that's not the real problem here. Let's say, she, for sake of argument, in this story, she does pay. Okay. It costs you eleven hundred bucks every month. You're collecting eighteen hundred. That's seven hundred dollars. Not bad until the roof falls in. Yeah. And all kinds of other maintenance-related stuff that goes on. That's right. You never really talked about who's going to do the landscaping. By the way, all her all her uh, cigarette butts just clogged up the uh, garbage disposal. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're getting calls in the middle of the night. Yeah. Washing machine doesn't work. <clears throat> yeah. So you say something. You you get to the point where you have a conversation with yourself like this, like. I'm probably making $250 to $300 a month on this. Right. If I only had 30 of these, then this would be great. So, but this first deal is probably gonna gonna kill you because you can't sell it now because your sister-in-law got you into a property that sucks. Yeah. Financially and everything else. So you're done. It's like uh, gambling. And, you, and by the way, you, you quit your job, right? So you can't get another loan now. You gambled until you lost all your money and you're out. Right? Can I go get another loan if I find a great deal? You can, but it's now your border like walking a tightrope on ethics and all kinds of stuff. Because you told the lender that you were going to live there just to uh-huh. get the best deal, but you're right. not. But also, I would say you don't have the income now. All of these things, by the way, minus right. the St. Bernard, have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Great. Hopefully, you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing this and I've talked you out of it now. Yeah. Here, now, without, because I don't want to go way over on time, here's the right way to do this. Okay. You're a very smart person and you understand, you have an accounting background or an engineering background or some type of comfort in spreadsheet background. You might even be a real estate agent that hates being a real estate agent and wants to be an investor. Maybe you aerospace engineer, I don't know. Our, our land group is all packed full, peop, full of people like this. I don't know, for what some reason we track these kind of people. So you understand the value of raising capital and being in a group where there's lots of people with lots of money and, and, and you look at deals. You also understand that none of these people that are that I just described deserve a dollar out of you. Not the insurance agent, not the real estate broker, none of them. You should spend your money on real estate acquisitions, not on soft cost fees and all kinds of stuff like that. The best working example that almost happened overnight of a landlord situation is this, and this Jill hit and I, this is a real situation. Jill and I have a mutual friend that his wife's sister's husband, his brother-in-law, sold a company, a medical device company, and netted like $50 million. That guy went and got a line of credit for $30 million, and came to my buddy and said, my buddy's been in real estate his whole life, buying and selling notes. I gotta invest this money, I can't just sit there. So he went and paid cash for like 40 or 50, up to 100 houses on the west side of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And he became an instant landlord for these 100 houses, set up a property management company, 
and hired a guy, a maintenance guy. He has no debt. He paid cash for all of these houses and he sent letters out like we do. So there's no real estate commissions. There's, you know, he had his own guy inspect the houses and now he's got, I think he's charges his average rent, let's just say it's a thousand bucks. I think it's more than that, but let's just say he's got a hundred houses at a hundred, at a thousand bucks a month. He's got a million dollars of cash flow and he doesn't pay this guy, his money guy, interest payments. He's a partner. Right. He's 50% partner on this deal. So every month now he's got $100,000 coming in, he buys another house after, after they pay their salaries on whatever they need to live on. So now his company's growing, he doesn't have any debt, he's only got equity interest, his money partner won, his wife's happy, his wife's sisters are happy, and that's how you do this. And if two of the three or 10 of these things explode one month, because they will, the deal will explode or people will stop paying rent, that's how you become a landlord. You don't do it by lending, getting, don't do it the way that we've all been taught to do it, and me included. Story time with Steve. It is. I don't have much to say. (laughs) My only note was passive income, really? Yeah. Because it's not. It takes a lot of planning, and the underlying issues, there are two underlying issues with being a landlord. Number, where are you getting the property? Number one, where are you getting the property? If it's in 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 the MLS represented by a real estate agent, stop right there. Mm-hmm. Your chances of failure are like 90%. Because somebody got there first. And then they're just going to get you into a, a big, a myriad of, of uh, you might as well, you know, well, never mind. Thank That's you. That's a terrible That's analogy. another show. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, um, conventional financing doesn't work for that. You have to get rich people, like our groups are packed full of, us included, that understand real estate and believe in you. And if you're new at this, it's real easy. Find some money, people, and then you do all the work. Mm-hmm. That's all Jill and I do all day. And when we put our investor hat on, is try to find people to do our deals. Yep, and hand them money. That's it. Yep. <laughs> hey, we know your time's valuable. Thanks for spending some of it with us today. Join us next time for the episode called Wholesaling Houses versus Mobile Homes. And we answer your questions posted on our online community, foundithouseacademy.com. It is free. You are not alone in your real estate ambition. It was a good story. It was great. I feel bad. I didn't have a lot to add. I was just kind of letting you go. You damn it. It was just my show. Sometimes it's your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Wherever you are listening or wherever you are watching, please subscribe and rate us there. We We are are Stephen Jill. Information and inspiration to buy undervalued property.